Welcome to the Business of Beverages, Drinks Industry Insights with Makers, Marketeers, and Mischief. In this episode, you'll learn how the right approach to education and training can help recruit the right staff, retain them for longer, and improve your own career prospects. You might even be edutained. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Beverages. I'm your host, Mr. Will Keating, and I'm joined again by Mr. Podrick Foxy Fox. Hello, Will. I'm going to keep doing that now. I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not just on the podcast either. No, 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 no. In daily life, I will bring you up and say, hello, Mr. Podrick Foxy Fox. Um, yeah, I'll do it until I get bored. Um, so, how are you? I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I am drinking lots and lots of different styles of beers. <laughs> How is that any different to normal? Is there a purpose? Yeah, no, there's a purpose to it this time. So I've, <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> not that there's never not a purpose, but I'm very focused on what I'm drinking at the minute. So uh, I don't know if I've told you this. I have registered to do the certified Cicerone exam. Do you know what Ooh, the certified Cicerone exam is? I, you do. I know you do. I was just yeah. teeing this up for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do. But actually, to be fair, I don't know a huge amount about it. But Cicerone started off in the States as uh, came from a really great place of wanting to help bartenders uh, predominantly talk about beers. So yes. as more and more craft taps are being added to bars, somebody comes in who are used to maybe drinking Bud Light, want to try something different. You've got 30 taps. If you've just started working there, you might not be familiar with the brands, but the idea is it upskills you to be able to talk about different flavors. For certified, you need to know 60 to 70 reasonably well. You also need to be able to take apart a tap coupler, put it back together again oh. and talk through it. Oh, you need very to be able, yeah, yep. You need to be able to identify five or six different beers from blind tasting, identify all flavors. You need to be able to talk through the brewing process of yeah. beers a lot more. There's a lot more to it. So, um, you know, I've, I went to college many, many years ago. I learn much better by, by doing um, yes. than I do from, from reading. A and dynamic learner. A dynamic learner, yes. I am very much a dynamic learner. So because I, you know, there's lots of reading materials that you need to read, know fairly well, like Garrett Oliver's Brewmaster's Table is really good. Uh, Ra- book. Randy Mosher's Tasting Beer is like, he, you know, he works for Cicerone as well. The, the, oh, does he? He does. Uh, and he, he, he helped develop um, the Cicerone courses and the exams. Mm. Uh, and he's great. His book is like Tasting Beer is, is like brilliant. Uh, then there's, you know, there's loads. There's, there's so many books about beer out there that you, you can read. Uh, and I was struggling. I was genuinely really struggling to find the time to sit for an hour and a half in the evening and like focus because I start reading the book and I was like, hey, this is interesting, but I'm not studying. I'm just reading it. Some of it is going in, but I'm not studying it. So uh, an amazing lady in the UK, Natalia Watson, who is certified Cicerone and also qualified beer sommelier, she does online courses to gear you up specifically for the exam. So it's like certified Cicerone bootcamp. She does level one as well. Um, she, she's awesome. Like I am learning so much more in the two hours with Natalia once a week than I would from trying to tip away at the books myself. So it's beer grinds. It is beer grinds and uh, it's great. For me, I think that education process is really important because it's something that happens throughout your career. It shouldn't um, be something, I I did a degree, didn't qualify me to do anything except to keep learning. It taught me how to learn and, and give me a curiosity and thereafter everything else was up to me. Um, and I think that no matter what job you do, whether you're in brewing, as, as I started out, or whether you're bartending, if you are curious, you will find ways to learn. Sometimes those ways are informal 
because you'll hang out with people that you find interesting. You'll learn from somebody spouting off about a particular brandy or uh, you're serving in the bar. Whatever it might happen to be, you'll learn from people around you and that's kind of inform informal learning. Uh, or you'll do what you're doing. Occasionally, you'll, you'll address something and say, I need to know more about something. I'm going to go away and I'm going to find a course to do it. Um, and that dynamic between informal learning and formal learning um, is something which I thought was quite interesting and something that we want to explore in today's episode. But really, the although we have done lots of different courses, you Cicerone, uh, Beer Sommelier, I've done my brewing exams with the IBD, you know, and, and uh, I lecture and do all sorts of uh, other bits and pieces. Uh, I thought actually it would be very interesting to get the viewpoints of the people who helped to create these courses in the first place. Um, so I'm delighted to say that we have Ellie Johnson from MPAL. Flow um, Hospitality Training is what yes. a lot of people might know them as. Um, and essentially that's a way of, I think, formalizing a lot of informal learning. So it's a kind of interesting dynamic. Uh, people may have come across it. I've worked with them in the past, found them to be extremely creative in their thinking. And also, I'm delighted to say that we have Mr. Charlie McCarthy, a senior uh, representative for WSET, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. You've, you've done a couple of the WSET yes, courses. Yes, I've done, I've done uh, level two um, for spirits and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, found it very interesting. It was a two-day course that accompanied it. Lots of it I knew, lots of it I didn't. So I, I'm delighted to say that both of those guests, uh, I think, give us a really brilliant overview of what to do if you're curious and you want to learn. But more importantly, if you are sitting in uh, a company and it's your responsibility to try and train people or retain people, then... You know, the way in which you choose your route for educating them, I think is particularly important. Yeah, absolutely. So on the call, we have a fantastic repository of experience and really specialist knowledge in education and learning. But broadly speaking, I would look at the work that WSET has done in, in the past and perhaps is, is doing currently as, as kind of like a, a formal education Whereas, would it be correct, Ellie, to say that Flow and companies like Flow, who are specializing in digital training and learning, are, are almost formalizing informal learning? Yeah, I would say it's a combination of both. So what we tend to do is we work with operators on uh, fundamentally supporting what they already do very well, but giving it a digital backbone and infrastructure and support. So one of the things we talk about a lot with our with our customers is we work with some of the best operators in the world, which we're very, very, very proud of. And I think we always really understand what it is they want to learn and what what's important to their people. And then I guess what we try and support them with is just making sure that it's got really good structure um, and that their management can have really good visibility. Because it's one of the challenges, isn't it, with the informal learning is then how do we know who's done what? Um, how do we know who's got access to new content that they need? Or the biggest challenge for hospitality, how do we know who our best people are? How do we keep our best people? All these good things. So it's it's more about, I guess, yeah, we, we do some of the formal learning as well, though, Will. So um, there's some of that and you can you can deliver that through through tech platforms. But fundamentally, I guess we're there to support all the good stuff people already do. And can I ask, what do you mean by operators? Who who are your customers? So everyone from small um, small independents to to uh, Hawksmoors to Soho House to big global operators like Yum Brands or Sodexo, um, and what they would tend to do, and, and obviously where we used to work together, I don't know, Diageos of the world. Um, so what we are um, essentially what we what we do with them is take what they used to deliver classroom wise and. 
again, the global pandemic's been fascinating for this, right? Because a lot of the clash of activity mm-hmm. or a lot of the global <laughs> businesses that we work with have said, well, one of one of one of our customers used to run a global a global program for their sales teams, which they just couldn't do anymore. So they're like instantly within eight weeks had to digitize the entire program, which is fascinating. So and, and actually what they did was they really future proofed it. So they said, well we don't we don't want to go back. We don't when when that when we can travel again, we want to be able to be in front of people because it's so powerful to do that. And especially in hospitality, you know, you want to be in front of people and engaging them and it's so it's so important. So we future proofed a lot of the stuff that we did with them to say how do we um take the best stuff that can be done digitally and put that in sections and then let's open up this bit and let's do that bit on zoom right now which actually as soon as we can go back to the travel we can go and do that face to face and just replicate it so yeah that's the type of thing we've been keeping busy as you can imagine over our lockdown <laughs> and has the delivery of your courses changed uh, charlie yeah massively so i mean I, I suppose it might be good to contextualize that for anybody who doesn't know wset that it's essentially you get qualifications in level one to two to three to four uh, if you're doing wine in level one to three in spirits and one in three in sake. We must not forget sake. People get very upset when we do that. Um, But essentially, it's more about kind of lifelong career learning for an individual. So the qualification follows the individual rather than remaining within the organization. But it's more about the examinations. Because it's a formal accredited award at each level, uh, we have to fulfill quite a lot of... um, criteria based on uh, the uh, requirements of Ofqual, which is the UK awarding body for uh, vocational education. Then we had to develop a platform and the delivery of remotely invigilated computer-based testing, which at level one and two for what we do is fine. When you get into level three, that's fine for the theoretical part. But at level three and level four, you have a tasting exam, which has to be done in person. So then we're getting very creative about how we're doing it. And a lot of that involves me hopping around Europe to do in-person delivery of uh, level three tasting classes. But that's really for the more kind of expert and advanced level courses. Because with us, it's really, the theory doesn't exist without the tasting and the tasting doesn't exist without the theory. So none of the theoretical learning points exist in a vacuum. They all exist in relation to what's in the glass. And what's in the glass has to exist in relation to developing the student's understanding of how the choices the producer made affected the quality or style of the liquid in the glass. Charlie, did you find that was kind of common naturally, even pre-COVID? So if I think back to doing a training course and work 10, 12, 13 years ago, we were all in a big conference room for, for two, three days, usually on a Thursday and a Friday, sun splitting the stones on a bank holiday weekend. <laughs> a lot of people, half the room probably not really wanting to be there, the other half of the room very much into it. Um, as time has gone on, you see a lot of companies don't want their sales reps to be off the road anymore. They, they want people to be out. Yeah. Did you find that your customers were kind of coming back looking for little bits of pivot here and there as well? Like, can they? Can you deliver this without us having to take everybody in off the road for a day or two? Yeah, I mean, a, a big part of what I do is uh, collaborating with our uh, educator training team. And we've basically ported pretty much all of our educator training programs now into uh, what we call remote delivery. And we work very hard to make sure that it's as close as possible to the same experience. What we're trying to do with the educators is really develop educators who are interested in actively engaging the students in active learning rather than just delivering knowledge. Because delivering knowledge is as interesting as reading a book. 
and why do a course if you can read a book? And really what we're trying to focus on with, with our educator training is what value does the educator bring? Does the educator have an insight themselves? The students in the room have value as educators, even if they don't know it. So, you know, you can draw knowledge out of the students and reinforce their experience and maybe change their perspective slightly. So it really is about drawing on the knowledge of the educator and the students as much as it is the course materials. And Ellie, has your approach changed uh, over the years to digitizing some of that learning that we, we spoke about and structuring it for companies so that they can not only get people to sit down in front of a screen and, and tick boxes, but actually learn from the material and retain that learning over time? Yeah, so when we first launched Flow, I'm going to show my age now, it was maybe 13 years ago when we first launched Flow, and part of our initial suite of content was beer content and bartender content and cocktail content. And at the time, everything digital was compliant. And genuinely, well, people used to look at us like we had horns as to how on earth can you learn anything about wine or spirits or beer online? Um, and, you know, it was, a, it was people thought we were crazy. Um, and, and actually, I think how we were pitching it was wrong as well, because I think actually what we've learned, and I think what I would, um, you know, 100% agree with Charlie, things like a combined approach and a blended approach is awesome, right? Because I think the Guinness stuff that we did together, well, or any of the wine stuff that we do, we always say, if you're looking at if you're looking at in that room with Charlie or with these educators and they're such incredible people and you only have them for a short amount of time, how much better and valuable is that session going to be if they've all had a base level of knowledge before they go in? So it's that combination, yeah. isn't it? And saying also a massive part of it is we know there's a massive dip. So we go in and we're with the WISIT team and we've got super inspiring trainers in front of us and we all leave really pumped and excited. And then three months later, we can't get them all back again. So how do we then refresh that knowledge? And that's the sort of stuff that, that, that we try and do. So again, it's never about replacing because you can't replace that type of experience and the knowledge you get from those sessions. It's about combining it and complementing it and using resources and online online module online modules are a tiny tiny part of that things like this podcast things like videos and social and you know infographics and all the different types of resources that are available it's just finding the right ones to to engage and support the right topic if you like i i sorry i agree wholeheartedly uh, first of all obviously we, we we've worked on a program before that uh, introduced me really to the concept of blended learning um, you know, where the digital was a large part of what in the old days we would have called pre-read, yeah. uh, essentially. Uh, what it was trying to do was to get people to a baseline. Uh, what I always said to people was that all of that digital learning, and uh, all of that time that they spent beforehand was really to enable them to ask better yeah. questions when they got in front of the brewers, to extract more value, as, as you yeah. say. And not only that, that when they hopped on the plane to go wherever else they were going around the world, having spent time in, in the brewery, having spent time with the brewers, actually there was something that followed up with them. Uh, there was a way in which they could reinforce their learning. There was a place where they could ask questions. But if if I think about you know beer education in particular, which I'm most familiar with, there's any number of different routes I can go. Uh, and I can top up my learning. I can progress along levels. I can demonstrate my learning through communities or or the like. And, and I think that that's a wonderful advance from where education was. I, I apologize, it's a bit of a rant, but my, my, my point ultimately is that there's never been more choices for 
people undergoing education and the formats that they can take, does it make it harder or easier for employers to say, well, actually, you know, this person has the kind of knowledge that we we're looking for? Well, yeah, but I think what's fascinating at the moment is we're seeing a massive shift for uh, employers wanting for their people um, optional content. So there's the mandatory stuff that everybody has to do and those things you can pretty much get anywhere. But I think what we are seeing a huge shift in, what what's fascinating to me and exactly what you're talking about, well, there's so many great resources. Imagine after lockdown as well, the amount of digital resource, free content that's been developed. That to me blows my mind about, I mean, we again, we, we, we saw some of the hospital live stuff that we did and there's hundreds and hundreds of videos there from some of the best educators in the world that'll be free and available to everyone. And that's just a tiny, Diageo did loads of great stuff. Loads of operators did loads of great stuff. So, so I think what's fascinating for us and what we're developing as well is that idea that actually it can be much more learner driven. So it's not about an operator or us saying, this is what you have to do, but it's also saying, well, actually, um, what are the things that fascinate me and what are the things that interest me so that you can navigate your way around it? And actually, that might take you from being a receptionist or a chef into a management position or into whatever, but it's giving people access to the really great content that's available and then using AI and all these great things, helping them make good choices and recommending great content to them that they can they can access and learn more from and hopefully keep better people in hospitality rather than move into other industries yeah i mean i totally agree for for um from my point of view i think there's there's always been certain big gaps within hospitality and i know will and i had a brief conversation about this previously for instance people don't get trained to be managers they just are a good bartender or good waiter and all of them they get but now you're now you're an assistant manager off the go and they've got yeah. no idea how to structure a rota how to you know how to cash up even you know, not a mind stock ordering and planning and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I, I know that you guys have flow addressed that a lot. For us, mm-hmm. what, we're, what we really think about with the learning and the individual is more about, not about learning the content, but more about it developing the skills to apply a paradigm of knowledge, which sounds like a very technical term, but it's very simply, it's not about this is Pinot Noir or this is Bourbon and now you know it. It's like, what choices were made by the producer? And how does that affect the liquid? So that then empowers the students to go on and not just understand his subject matter, but have a skill set and a tool set to continually develop afterwards. Uh, I, th- I think you brought up a really good point there, Charlie, about, you know, a lot of people end up in senior positions because they're, they're good at what they do at a slightly lower position. But on the flip side of that, there, there's no real, uh, like they just put into context, there's quite a ho- high profile court case happening here in Dublin at the moment. Um, a couple of big pubs are taking their insurer to court over non-payment of claims during COVID. And the defending solicitor has said in one of their statements that bar staff are unskilled staff and therefore it's not a massive loss to whatever pub hired them because you just get others in. I, 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 I mean, recruitment is is like the biggest thing at the moment. It's so hard. It's so hard. People are coming to us from uh, distributors going, can you help us with a program so we can go and attract more accounts? Because all they can say to us is about recruitment of skilled staff. And uh, yeah. 
do you think that outlets should, you know, they're struggling to attract staff? Should they be using the likes of double set training to, to get more people in the door and really like have the outlets play up that training? Because it is a skill. It, it is an absolute skill. And, and maybe we as bartenders and bar managers and whatever else need to shout about that a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I don't think it necessarily has to be exclusively WSET. I mean, Flo do fantastic organization-specific work. There's a lot of other providers out there. Um, but I think, yeah, if you look, there's there's a, a Facebook page called the London Bartenders Association. And if you look at the, historically, at the ads for posts and positions, uh, maybe two years ago, it was like uh, cocktail bartender competitive rates, location, and that was it. And now you look at them and it's like, you are going to join a fantastically exciting team here's our manager here's what he likes here's your training and development pathway here's your starting salary here's your trunk here's your tips here's how we want to help you develop your career or the options we want to give you to help you develop your career so i think absolutely training and education if you want to attract somebody into hospitality who might not have taken it seriously as a career before all of a sudden if you're going to be offering them you know, twelve fifty an hour rather than nine fifty an hour as as a cocktail bartender plus tips. That's far more attractive. What's really attractive for them is giving them the skills to and the confidence that there's a career path there. Um, yeah. Because without without a career path, it's just something you do until you're too old to do it. And also the, the right environment, right? Because we've got a bad rep for being, um, you know, work long hours. Um, low paid, all these things. So, what this is, I'm massive, massively passionate about this topic as well. And I almost wonder if there's going to be a huge shift in hospitality that we're not really, I mean, it would be helpful if it wasn't right now. We've already got loads of other challenges on top of us. But I love the fact that actually it's kind of the, this recruitment challenge is forcing everyone to treat people better. Yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. It's like this crisis. The crisis is exactly. you have to pay people properly and but, yeah. with respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Treat people like human machines who might break down if you ask them to work, you know, 75 hours as a standard because you're a hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's some really good operators doing amazing things. And I was speaking to loads, a couple of people last week about exactly this and rates of pay, minimum hours, um, you know, um, benefits. So one of the operators I talked to was doing a package for, for new parents of they'll pay for your nappies for the first six months. And like, imagine, imagine an industry like ours supporting new parents. It's almost revolutionary, right? Like almost when you have a child, you leave hospitality because it's, you know, it just doesn't support it. So that just for me was amazing. Um, yeah, I just, I think there's really good stuff happening, you know, out of difficult things. But you, you mentioned Hawksmoor before, Ellie, and they were always a great model of treat your staff well. And, and, and I think they were, I mean, there were other operators before, I did it quite well, but they, I think they were the first one to do it on such a kind of uh, scale across a number of different venues. Yeah. Uh, Hawksmoor, I think, are, are a great example. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a kitchen in Hawksmoor, but Hawksmoor are brilliant at listening to their staff as to what their staff want or need to do things better. So when you're in the kitchen in Hawksmoor, it's all digital screens, and the chef who's doing the prep knows exactly what minute the order went in when he has to have his thing done, and then the chef who plates up at the end has it on a countdown timer. It's almost, it's almost like what you see in McDonald's or Burger King to make sure everything is done perfectly. But that works on the bar staff floor as well, where I think they openly said, these are the training courses available. Available. what do you guys want to do for your professional development and career as well and i think um 
that's possibly something that companies could do with looking at a little bit more maybe like ellie i've worked with flow a lot and we've been able to develop some really good internal training because a couple of years ago we we developed a small team of brand ambassadors and the two training that we did was beer sommelier on the one hand to be able to talk flavor and, and things like that and on the other hand we did a brewing course um so they could talk authentically like brewers and the big learning from it was the brewing course was too much uh, not just for the the people sitting the exam because it's it, it's a tough exam will you've passed it i've failed it uh it's it's very 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 difficult <laughs> and ultimately i probably will never use 70 percent of what i learned in that because i don't want to be a brewer yeah. whereas the other course was all about talking about flavor and ultimately when you're talking to people who are not bartenders and people who are not brewers and people who are not distillers that's what people want to hear so yeah. so the training uh, i think it's a very roundabout way to get to the point where do you think like particularly charlie like WSA is fantastic and really well recognized um is that something that staff members should be asking about coming in going look can i do my level one uh, as part of this being able to like i i will help you as a business if i have this because i can recommend better products to the customers i mean i mean to to kind of put to gauge it a little bit i would say that if somebody has got no experience and they're working in the drinks industry they should think about doing level one or level uh, level one spirits or wine if that's the world that they're working in if they're a receptionist if they're working in the warehouse if they're in any way front facing with a consumer or with a client at all but i mean to circle back to the what we're talking about again about the idea of the kind of more vocational training aspects of it. So I wanted to ask Ellie about this. The, within, within what you're doing, there must be some training courses for people to advance their career within, like, not the kind of the liquid knowledge, but more like the the skills around management and organisation. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've built a whole suite of content on management, um, which is really, really good. And actually, it's interesting because I, I come from that world too. And I was a receptionist or um, and, a, and a pot wash and w- worked my way up in hospitality. And actually, what, I've, what I always think about uh, is um, people saying to me at the time, you want to go work in management? And I was like, why on earth would I want to do that? I earn much more money as a waitress making tips and it looks horrific and, you know, you don't really get any training. And and again, I had a really interesting conversation with that. So we do, we do good stuff digitally, but again, when it comes to management training, I think it's really important that it's blended. We had a really good conversation with the hit guys and they do, I didn't even know this, but there's some phenomenal, um, really well-funded essentially master's degree level courses that you can put managers through and and you know the that the cost of these things are actually fairly minimal um if you know how to go about them and you speak into the right people and that sort of thing when you think why shouldn't we develop our management to that level as well when the sorts of responsibilities the kind of monies they're managing you know big teams all these things so there's really really great stuff available i think you know but but probably quite underused at the moment A theme of what we've been discussing here, really, I guess, is picking the right level of course and the right content for the uh, for the people undergoing that course. And very often, that's the individual is making a a choice, but more often, it's the the employer is making a decision. So, how does somebody sitting in an organization decide what level of content is is right? So, for example, if we take Foxy's um, earlier description of uh, the staff in in his bar, essentially the the IBD training, the formalized uh, training around essentially the pathway to becoming a brewer was the wrong was the wrong fit, and the the beer sommelier training around serving beer, describing beer, and understanding it, and 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 um, re- making recommendations for people was a much better fit. But if that seems very obvious in in hindsight. 
But at the time, somebody was making a decision around which which route to go and which education and, and training platform to use. Uh, how do people sitting in in those chairs make those decisions today? Is it a case that you need to uh, make a decision whereby you're pleasing your staff because they're getting something that that is easy to achieve and transportable? They can use in another job, help them get another job, or do you try and create something which is bespoke for your team and your requirements and start from scratch? I, I think there's uh, there's a couple of different drivers to consider if you're the employer there. One is what do my staff want? And the other is, what do I need them to know? And uh, it's really about blending those. So, for instance, I mean, there, there are examples where uh, if the staff want a formalised accredited uh, award that is transportable, such as WSET, they can insist on that. But then the manager might say, well, let's do a hybrid model where we incorporate that into um, something that focuses more on service or efficiency or... Um, teamwork or all these other soft skills which are equally as important for service and hospitality. Totally and also to Foxy's point about potentially doing all of that it can be overwhelming what people are offered Mm -hmm. so if we give people um, bite-sized introductions to understand what people like and what gets them excited that might that might be the one thing that goes oh my god I love beer or oh my god I love whiskey learning about it and, you know, the storytelling stuff is actually, if we want, you know, how do we communicate that? Because when you were talking about casks, I know lots of people, Charlie, that would sit at a bar and listen to that all night and be like, you know, enthralled by it. Yeah. Other people just want to know the basics. Yeah. And it, being able to read your guest, isn't it? Understand what they want, but have the knowledge and be able to engage people that are interested on that stuff. It's, yeah, that, that stuff fascinates me, but it's, it, I think it's, if you chuck, chuck a, how to be a brewer course at someone, you might just completely overwhelm them. Um, so maybe just starting small, getting them excited about something and yeah. then growing from there. And make it make it easily digestible is, is really yeah. important, isn't it? Yeah. I do think there's an interesting uh, sort of parallel, which is that although the the over formalization of some of the learning um, might put people off uh, i do think on the other side of the coin so we were talking a lot about hospitality um you know coming from a brewing background or, or production background um and working with a lot of distillers currently and and uh, people in production i do think that there's an enormous value for people working on that side of the the, the house to actually get a much better and closer understanding to how the beers or spirits or wines mm-hmm. uh, are consumed and and how people talk about them how they use them foxy a question for you actually is is that that those courses that you described was there only hospitality staff doing those um courses or the brewing staff came on board as well and did they get a benefit yeah so initially it was just the hospitality staff because that was the immediate priorities that we're going to be talking to people across the bar on the floor uh in a big beer uh visitor experience so very much it's the people who are on the floor but as a result of that we found that some of the staff who are not customer facing were kind of learning stuff from the guys who are doing the course and, and you know asking questions themselves so when we did the second wave of training and removed the the brewing qualification from it because we doubled down then on kind of the, the language of beer the language of flavor and effectively then opened it up more voluntary to people who worked in finance worked in marketing and actually had a really big take up of it because 
I think it's a thing that happens particularly in, in big companies where you will have a, a learning and development specialist, but they may not come from the industry in what they're currently trying to, to develop. And that works in, in finance, marketing, right across the board. You mean you can market chocolate bars, you can market beer, you can market lots of different things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're overly knowledgeable on the product. So by offering it out wider, we actually found there was quite a high take up uh, of people voluntarily wanting to do it because you know, if they happen to be on the floor and somebody asked them a question, they can get involved in it or they could ask a question of the brewer rather than sitting around a room when we were talking about our new beer and there's four people who all have very different skill sets, but ultimately all four of us just want to sell the beer to this person. Um, so, you know, this person's going to talk about this element of it. This person's going to talk to this element of it. By everybody having that little bit of knowledge, it meant we could land on tasting notes much easier. It meant we could land on food pairings much easier because we were all kind of singing from the same hymn sheet. Yeah. And as well as about... What, what's your learning outcome? Uh, what are you looking to achieve? If, are you looking to achieve that easy communication with a guest? Um, I was working for Bacardi years ago doing uh, training in uh, global travel retail uh, spaces. And uh, the guy who was in charge of the program, Mark Plumridge, was very good on this. And he said, basically, it's a fast-moving environment. You throw your, your encounter with your uh, potential uh, shopper you want to throw them one tennis ball. If they catch the tennis ball, throw them one more tennis ball. And then if they catch that, maybe a third, and that's it. Nobody would be able to catch more than three tennis balls. And it's a really nice analogy. It's like, here's, yeah. Yeah, here's a USP, or here's a hook. Now there's a USP. Now here's how you use it. And it's like, that's it. You want to keep, you know, it's the keep it simple, stupid principle to, in, in a different context. And over a bar or at a restaurant table, there's a slightly different dynamic. But essentially, it's like you say, it's that emotional intelligence is really mm-hmm. key to gauging all of that, really, isn't it? How many people have you seen in hospitality who are really lacking in that? And you wonder, why or why are you in this industry? Yeah. You're lacking. <laughs> you don't like people. Go work somewhere yeah. else. There's, there's an amazing clip of uh, Conan O'Brien where okay. he visits the um, Sam Adams Brewery in Boston. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's maybe about 12, 18 months old. But the owner of Sam Adams is giving him the tour. And they go in, and they're two minutes into the tour, and you can just see Conan going, all right, when do I get to have a beer? And, <laughs> and, and, and then Jim Cock, who's the owner of Boston Brewing, is like, and then beer started 10,000 years ago in Mesopotamia. And he's like, all right, I just want a beer. And then they go into the tasting room, and there's 20 taps. And he's like, can I just have one? It's like, well, this one is hopped with this. This one is, I don't know what a hop is. Just give me a beer. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a brilliant example of like almost yeah. being over-knowledgeable but not having, like we just said, that skill set to yeah. put it into smaller sections and delve about what the customer actually needs. And, and the other thing with hospitality is people forgot a lot for a long time is make it fun, you know? Yeah. Make it enjoyable. Yeah. You were talking about Hawksmoor being an amazing operator earlier, and another one that I think massively of um, is London Cocktail Club, who I'm sure you know, yes, talking yeah. about keeping yeah. it fun. And they, you know, they've got this incredible program, and I don't know the detail of it, but well, they were one of the first people I ever saw that kind of led with well-being, and well-being yeah. was right at the top of their agenda. Yeah. They had you know, just really interesting things around that emotional intelligence and fun. And actually, that one of their biggest objectives is to create people. And this, again, I'm talking, this is a while ago, right? So I'm hoping this is still relevant information. But they, one of their objectives at the time when I knew them was about um, coaching people on how to open their own bars. So it was like, come through us. Don't, don't stay with us forever. But we want you to go on and be super successful in doing your thing. And, um, you know, just an incredible way. And also that pretentiousness of drinks. Yeah. So they do that stuff. You can get a really posh martini in there if you want to. But actually, you can also get one of those really fun 
tiki looking drinks, you know, with like straws and stuff hanging out of it, but it tastes really good. I love that, you know, like not taking us too seriously and like yeah, engaging with exciting, fun people. It's what it should be like when you're in a bar. That, that that point on fun, Charlie, actually, is, is probably a really important one because obviously with WSET, like wine is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. We talked about the percentageness of cocktails, but a lot of people would look at wine with kind of the same viewpoint. But I suppose by you making that training like accessible and because you're not tied to a brand, yeah. I suppose like a huge element of your training is creating advocates as well. That, that it's not just about learning about wine, but actually you, you do want people to go out and sell more wine and spirits off the back of their training because then you have other people get interested in wine and spirits. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I mean, on, on another aspect of it, there's an awful lot of tasting. So we've got the two pillars. There's the theory and there's the tasting. We have a systematic approach that just basically helps people have a kind of very uh, easily understandable and communicable lexicon to use to describe wine or spirits or sake and soon beer when we launch that. But um, they... The idea is you have to taste, you know, it's, it's an over 18 course or a, an over drink, legal drinking age course, wherever you are. So we're teaching adults. We tried to make, encourage our educators to make sure that they're having a good time because, you know, obviously we're saying you should spit because you're going to be tasting 20 wines or 30 spirits over the course of the day or two that you're doing the course, depending on which course it is. But um, enjoy it, have a bit of fun with it. The, the educators bring it alive. The, the, the core material itself is interesting, but it's actually the delivery of the core material along with the tasting. And uh, and we encourage people to do vineyard tours. Do uh, You can tell I don't work with wine. I pronounced that wrong. Uh, but do distillery <laughs> tours, all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, to find ways of enhancing it and making it relevant. And there are service elements to the courses where we talk about surface of cocktails or, or general principles of storage of uh, you know safe storage but essentially it's really about here's the liquid here's how it's made and here's and between that there's the understanding and the passion and that's really where the link that actually happens in the student's head rather than the teacher imposing it we provide them with the understanding of how to taste and how to talk about tasting how the liquid is made and how to understand how that relates to the taste. But as the student makes those links in their head, that's where the spark happens and that's where the real learning is. It sounds uh, yeah, a bit corny, but it's it's actually true. One thing that I loved about what you said was was the idea that you have to augment or you encourage people to augment their learning. And it, so it's not you're not building a bridge with only one plank. You know, you're you're adding to your own experience. Um, and, and that was something I personally believe in, in greatly. It was something that, that I did. Uh, I did numerous different courses I, on top of the brewing courses and brewing qualifications that I would have done, the sort of very formal IBD diplomas and so on and so forth. But actually, you, yeah. in, you pursue your own interests. The idea of augmenting your learning by, by actually pursuing your passions, uh, I think is really important. If So I lecture to students in third level uh, on a brewing and distilling uh, qualification. And what I find is the students who have the greatest interest in the topic are the ones who make the the best students. Um, So the people who are already homebrewing, for example, or the people who are passionately advocating for craft beer. And I I had one student last year who uh, was a regular contributor to a craft beer podcast, ladies craft beer podcast. And therefore she was attuned to a lot of the knowledge that we were going through already. 
but actually formalizing it and structuring it helped her to communicate it better and helped it to put it into perspective when she was talking to others. So I, I think that ability to take what you're doing and treat it as the first step or the first rung in a ladder is is really Im- important. And I think perhaps, Ellie, in, in the case of a lot of the, the education that Flow provide, I hope that that's a great introduction for people to actually go and build themselves upon the base yeah, which, which exactly. they get given. And I guess, again, the tech that we build is hopefully encouraging that more and more where you may go and do a piece of content on wine or whiskey. And then, again, with the stuff that we're building now for the future for the beginning of next year, all the AI in the background will then say, hey, go see this. Maybe you can go and do this. This is a really amazing way to augment your learning or maybe go do this. And I think um, that's it. It's trying to keep them excited in it, keep them interested and and using the best of technology to, to recommend content like Spotify. If I think about that, the amount of amazing new music, I've just, I'm a huge music fan and the amount of amazing new music I've discovered through the algorithms in the background. I just think that's stuff I would never have discovered before. So I think if we can apply that same sort of um, thinking in behind learning, so pulling together the best resources and using the best technology to get it to as many people as we can, it's amazing. For, for me, um, whenever I was recruiting uh, as, as a bar operator, or the thing that I always looked for, two things, was just a good attitude, but I always found the cornerstone was curiosity. Found if somebody was incurious, they couldn't learn because they were happy with what they knew already. Um, and I suppose as, as educators, then you have the good students who come along and they're the curious students like your guy or the girl who's already home brewing. Um, but then I suppose the challenge is if you have students who are just there because they've been sent there by work, how do you spark curiosity in them? And I suppose there's lots of different techniques, but I think that's almost the more challenging thing as an educator. You're always going to have the easy wins with the people who are already curious, but the people who are there because they're told to be there, those are the really challenging students. It's almost, that's more satisfying in a way when you, when you get those hard wins. Yeah, for sure. Because um, I've sat on the recruitment side of the table as well. Yeah. And we've always had the, you know, let's hire the attitude and we can train the skill. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if you come in with the right attitude and you want to learn, that person is going to be like a sponge and just soak up everything. And they're there because they want to be there. Um, and then your point about the, the people who, you know, are sitting in the room that have been sent there by work. Um, Will, you probably remember when we used to do the in-person Guinness quality training and you have a lot of bars. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, a lot of oh, bar staff yeah. who you know, probably should be given the course. And who are you coming to tell me, you know, you're 30 years younger than me telling me how to run my pub. And um, I always remember one guy, we, we'd always demonstrate, you know, how to pour the pint. And uh, this guy was very senior manager in a huge pub chain. And just like, no, I'll, I'll show you now. And out he came and he put the pint glass down. I was like, there you go. And I just remember looking to the rest of the room and just went, now, anybody uh, want to make any comments on that point? Does it look great? It looks fantastic. And it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I think about it. If that was served to you, would you be happy with his hand coming out over the top where you put your lips onto the thing? And you could just see the redness <laughs> burn up in him. And that, that was it. Once, once, uh, once he was done with that, you just, the rest of the group was just on side then for, for the rest of the day. So no matter how much they didn't want to be there, that just made their day. And they're kind of, you know, it's, and it's even little things like that. The people who have worked in the trade for an awful long time, there's always something to learn. There's always something that you will learn that you didn't know. And, and for everyone always, it's not just as soon as you start teaching, you, you, you lack, if you lack curiosity, then that's, that's that, that sentence as well, I suppose. Uh, Ellie, just we Charlie 
posed a great question about, um, I, I guess, the biggest wins sometimes come from sparking curiosity in those who don't want to be there in the first place. We're obviously all very passionate about what we do, um, but in in many cases, it's the person who's mandated to do the training, who's forced to go on the training course, who's forced to do a, a flow online learning program is, and is trying to tick as many boxes as quickly as they can. How do you overcome that? Is there uh, Are there particular techniques does gamification help? Yeah. Do you know what? I think it's it's a fascinating topic again because um, I think we have to be realistic as well that not everybody, who I, th- I think it would be ridiculous to assume that everybody that works in hospitality cares about it as much as we do. And that's absolutely fine as well. We should be encouraging great people who only want to be here for six months or two years or whatever to come and do their thing. And they learn incredible skills by working in hospitality over that time. And I think, again, to Foxy's point from earlier, it's about um, uh, meeting them where they are, um, not being patronising about how we go about it, not overkilling it. You know, there's so much stuff that's just, it's too much and there's no need. So trying to make it as bite-sized and engaging as you can, gamification's, you know, one one of the great things you can use. But just really thinking about the learner first and foremost, um, rather than just what we need to do to, to make it work for us. And there's ton, tons of really good things that can be done and making it accessible, you know, thinking about how they're going to do it, all these all these good things. Um, so, yeah, I think it's not undervaluing those people, right, and just making sure that we give them enough information so um, they, they're still, they can still do what they need to do. They're never going to sit here and talk about beer and whiskey like we will, but, again, that's totally fine. Um, Charlie, your role is, is quite global. Um, do you notice like cultural differences in, in learning? I, I mean, from my time in the US, I always found when I walked into a bar and even just like something like taking off the nozzle, all of a sudden there's a crowd around and people want to know why you're doing it, what, what's that? Whereas in Ireland, it tends to be just a little bit more kind of standing on the far side of the bar going, oh, what are you doing that for? Mm-hmm. And what's what's going on over there? A little bit less lack of, of uh, interest in it, is particularly in, in kind of, I suppose, emerging markets. So places that are starting to put a bigger... Um, faith in, in like stocking cocktails, stocking wine, stocking like really upskilling the thing. Do you find there's difference in, in cultures? I think there's different in cultures on, on two aspects. One in the teaching style that's prevalent in, let's say, somewhere like Russia or India, where it's very much the educator standing at the top of the classroom, delivering the syllabus, the students writing it down, very little interaction. And, and with our um, educator training program, we're very much about active learning and getting the students. So you kind of... Have, it's difficult for somebody, let's say, who's, who grew up in, in, in a Russian education system and is an educator in Russia, very accomplished, then to come and do our educator course and go, I have to ask the students, rather than saying, do you understand? Yes, great, move on. Um, <laughs> but the other thing is, is is the appetite about how much people are getting exposed to. Um, I, I, did, I did a short stand working, at, doing brand ambassador work in the UK for Hendrix. Hendrix, one of the best most innovative brands mm. in the world and and their training program was actually uh, very good but the you know the gin production uh, within the hendrix context and i remember taking it to bristol to bars in bristol which is a very saturated market at the time for training and getting like six or seven people in the room but there were the right six or seven people going to edinburgh getting one person in the room i went to belfast and I thought, oh, Belfast, the merchants and what, the, you know, Sean and Jack would be doing there. The, 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 you know, they'll be a really, you know, they'll, they'll, this is a really well-trained uh, bar culture up there. I went in and they had to go, we were training in the merchant, had to go into a bigger bar than was originally planned because there was about 70 people 
who wanted to come and do the training because they had no exposure. And they're coming up to me after, that was great. Can you get more brands to come over and give us more training? And I suppose the, the challenge there was it, commercially, it's a smaller market. So, so a lot of the brands were not willing to give it as much time. But I think if you go to those places where people are hungry, that you, you, your reward is going to be, you know, two or threefold because they just appreciate the learning so much more. Would you not say that's a culture those people breed as well, Charlie, right? Those operators breed a certain culture for their people yeah. to be so hungry for more knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the case of Sean and Jack, you know, we've our very first guest was uh, Gregory Buddha, who's their director of education, PhD in in biology and a and an absolute you know genius when it comes to, to liquids and more more prominently uh, an absolute advocate for educating and the role that uh, learning and curiosity can play in your life as a bartender mm-hmm. and beyond. So you know one hundred percent agree with that. Yes. So uh, if I want to find out more and do my WSET levels, Charlie, where can I find more information? Yeah, uh, just go to WSETglobal.com and there's a tab there called where to study. You just enter the subject you want to study, the level you're interested in studying at and uh, where you're based. And it will come up with the range of uh, approved program providers in your location. And if you're not sure which one you should be studying, the qualifications are on a different tab and it will give you a brief description about whether it's level one as an introduction, level two for intermediate, level three for advanced, or level four for expert. So it's all it's all there, wsetglobal.com. Brilliant. And Ellie, when I'm going to create my next bar training tool for, for my staff in work, where should I find out more about Flow? Yeah, so we you can go to our website, so mapalos.com. Uh, and look for the Flow Learning application on, on that website or just or just reach out to me on LinkedIn whatever suits you best thank you so much guys we will include uh links to your bios and on linkedin uh as part of the show notes uh we hope that uh you have continued success uh training educating inspiring and engendering curiosity thank you so much for your time are you not edutained edutained is such a great word (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because, but, but that's how I learn, like, like education and entertainment. Um, that's what this podcast is. Like I, I have a you know a degree. I couldn't tell you half the things I learned in that to get to that degree. <laughs> but what I can tell you is the scorer of Watford's first ever Premier League goal. And the only reason I know this is because at the time the commentator said, you know, remember the name because this will come up in table quizzes for years. And that stuck in my head. It has never once come up on a table quiz. <laughs> Not once. Uh, but, but it's things like that that make things stick in my head. Troy Deeney? No, it was uh, Michelle Ngonge. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> yep. Uh, There's no need for me to know that. Uh, well, I have to say, uh, the, it was far from trivia um, that we got in that interview with the guys. I thought it was an outstanding uh, example of people cooperating and explaining some really complex uh you know, subjects in really simple ways. Um, the role that learning plays in people's careers uh, and not only in their own personal careers, but actually in the uh, retention of quality staff in hospitality and on the sales or indeed on the production side uh, is really essential. Uh, I thought uh, Ellie and Charlie were, were brilliant at explaining their particular approaches. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, there, you know, there are other training courses available. Uh, we don't have to go through Flow. You don't have to go through WSET, but they are great at, at what they do. And we've both worked with both of them in the past and they're, they're super. Yeah. And to be fair, you know, I think we had a whole variety of perspectives. We talked about Cicero. Uh, I talked about IBD, you know, uh, I lecture in university level uh, courses as well. There's lots of different ways you can go about it. Or you can simply listen to podcasts. That's such, such as this one, the yes. business of beverages, where you can learn all about beverages. The best edutainment on the internet. Are you not edutained? Okay, Foxy, you know where we're going. We're going straight to the desert island. Yes, indeed. And uh, I'm delighted to say um, we have for the second episode in a row, we have a recommended guest. So this time we have Mr. Kevin Demers. And he's been recommended by Greg Buddha or Gregory Buddha from episode one. All the way back when we just had like a podcast and a dream. <laughs> An idea. We didn't even have a podcast. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the people who was first to answer our call, our cry for help really, uh, was uh, Mr. Greg Buddha, who is the education director for the Dead Rabbit Group of Pubs. He gave an outstanding interview on the science of bartending and his approach. Uh, and I thought it was it was fantastic. But not only that, uh, he became a good friend of the show. Uh, and when he was in Dublin a few weeks ago, uh, I managed to catch up with him and we went for a couple of pints. Uh, did Greg spend like the time enjoying the pints with you? Or was he looking around to see who's doing what? Is the bartender could be doing a little it's bit more? It's funny you should mention that because we actually uh, we managed to have dinner as well. And he kept a very keen eye on the service. Uh, but I'm sure uh, Greg enjoyed his night because uh, we had uh, many, many scoops and lots of entertainment. And one of the things that he turned around and said was, I have a guy you should talk to um, for your podcast. And I'm delighted to say he recommended Kevin Demers. Um, and Kevin, as you'll hear now, is an extremely entertaining and storied guest. Can you tell me, please, who are you? And what do you do? Uh, I'm uh, Kevin Demers, and I'm uh, the owner of uh, a few businesses in uh, Montreal, Quebec, uh, Canada. If, uh, one being the Cold Room, another one being El Pequeño, which is considered the smallest bar in Quebec and potentially, I believe, Canada, 150 square feet. And Parliament as well. And last but not least, I just recently, during COVID, opened a beer store called Biarfoot Cold Beer, which... If you've ever been to a sports game in anywhere in Quebec, you're going to hear the the uh, stadium vendor screaming out in both languages, French and English, Biafoid cold beer. That's where the name comes from. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and can you tell me, please, you know, if a man who's so exposed to drinks uh, all the time, all day, every day, uh, what would you consider to be your desert island drink? If you were to be stranded on a desert island, you've got plenty of drinking water, but you're allowed to bring something else with you to consume what would you bring and why please what would i bring probably very simply a daiquiri like uh if i'm able to if there's some kind of like lime tree or anything around like no problem <laughs> yeah well, it's your, it's your it properly so we can actually make it but i'd probably stick with that it's just such a simple simple drink but like it's it's timeless and you can have it anywhere it's always well i don't want to say it's always because a lot of people mess it up but it's a uh, great drink um, just to, to see where you're at in any venue and around the world. It's one of those things if you can't mess it up slash, yeah, you can, like an old-fashioned, same thing. So how, how do you make your daiquiris then? 
that that I, Cla- I like classic simple way but if i really wanted to get uh we'll claim it white girl at this point uh i'd have the slushy machine out and make mm-hmm. it a, a slushy uh, a frozen daiquiri if i really want to go that way <laughs> but for so i i am conscious that not everybody knows how to make a daiquiri but if, if you're talking a classic daiquiri we're not talking you know a shop bought uh, strawberry syrup and, and all no, that kind of rubbish. No, 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 no. We're talking you straight know, up lime sugar and uh, and rum, and that's it. Yeah, so Some lime love, juice, sugar syrup, and rum. What rum would you choose? Oh man, you put me on the spot. You put me on the spot for sponsors and stuff here. <laughs> I mean, uh, white or dark, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I I'd, I'd probably have to go with Havana. Um, I, again, I, I've had the opportunity to actually, uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to visit quite a few distilleries and, and breweries as well, uh, like all over the world. And that one really marked me, uh, and really gave me a, a, a good connection with not just the brand, but the story behind, uh, Havana and the story behind the daiquiri and, uh, just everything around that. And I just, I fell in love with it and it just, I, I find there's stories to certain products or there's stories to alcohol or even things you're eating uh, that make such a, a big connection and it makes whatever you're drinking slash whatever you're eating so much more special if you have something like that. Absolutely. We're, we're firm believers in the stories behind drinks or, as you say, foods that you consume, improving the experience all around. Um, do you serve yours in a particular fashion? Do you... Uh, you know, how do you garnish it, or is it the simpler the better? Because I've seen some of the drinks from your bars, and they they absolute pieces of artwork. But you know, as for you on a desert island, is it as simple as you can make it? <laughs> if I'm on a desert island, <laughs> as simple as it can be. <laughs> Just want the buzz <laughs> oh. to, to tide you over. All right, yeah. well that that's fantastic. So a, cl- a classic daiquiri. So we're talking Havana Club rum. We're talking lime juice, sugar syrup. That's it. Simple, simple. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Kevin. Much appreciated. Thank you. Daiquiri on a desert island. That's not a bad way to spend your day. I think I'd pick a daiquiri over pina colada. They're two very island drinks, but I do love a good straight daiquiri. You can't go wrong with a daiquiri. But uh, do you know what? If you ever get sick of daiquiris, Good news is that Kevin has a number of bars in Montreal that specialize in cocktails. So if you don't want a daiquiri, he has definitely got a cocktail for you. Uh, um, do you know what we should do? We should have him on our next episode of A Business of Beverages. That's a fantastic idea. In fact, let's go call him to get him back on. So uh, on our next episode, you can expect Mr. Kevin Demers to be our main guest. Uh, and we'll talk about the process of opening bars and what it's really like to run a bar. Yeah, run a bar, open a bar in a 200-year-old building. Uh, Kevin's got some brilliant stories, even doing little things the opposite way than what way you think you'd do them. Uh, he's, he's he's pretty pretty interesting on how he got into the uh, Montreal bar scene. All right, well, uh, join us on our next episode when you'll find us talking to Mr. Kevin Demers about opening a bar. Thank you for listening to The Business of Beverages. It's been our pleasure to bring you this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and recommend us to one other friend or colleague. As ever, we are independently produced and self-funded, 
So we appreciate your support in listening, sharing, or reviewing this podcast. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter, where we go by at BizBevPod. If you'd like to support us further, you can find us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash BizBevPod. You guys okay outside? Drinking beer? Happy? Still, still alive? Red button is good?